you to listen for the word of the Lord. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient and equipped for every good work. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, with a new year comes a new sermon series. Um, as I stated at the front end of worship over 10 years ago now, about 12 years to be exact, a team journeyed for 12 months to discover the core values of this church. We have our mission as United Methodists, our vision statement uh, as a local congregation. And then um, Bishop Brian, then senior minister, Dr. Brian, led us uh, this, this idea, like what is our DNA? What is our infrastructure so that we can align ourselves in mission and in ministry uh, to know how we're going to do things? Anything outside of these core values uh, takes a back seat to that which aligns with these core values. So for the next few weeks, we're going to walk through our core values as United Methodists here at First United Methodist Church. Lucas is going to preach a sermon on, on community and on connection and the importance of that. Uh, we'll talk about generosity, faithful generosity and stewardship. Uh, Reverend Rogers will lead us in one of our core values, mission and service. We're going to talk about prayer, and we're going to end on Transfiguration Sunday with the rich history of reverent worship. So for the next few weeks, we're on a journey. We're on a journey to talk about who we are as a church and how we align ourselves with Jesus Christ in mission and ministry. And so we begin with this first core value, biblically focused spiritual growth. Biblically, it's going to be on the exam, so you might want to write it. Biblically focused spiritual growth. And what we say about that is we value the Bible as the source of truth. Our programming is grounded in the inspired Word of God. We embrace the responsibility to educate and to nurture the spiritual growth of all members, children, youth, and adults. And from an early time in their lives, we do teach children the Bible. I, I love some of the things that uh, children say when we introduce them to the Bible, particularly the Old Testament. Uh, they say some of the darndest things, such as a Christian should have only one spouse. That is what the Bible calls monotony. Have you heard him say that? <laughs> that the greatest miracle in the Bible is when Joshua told his son to stay put, and he did. He did. His son stayed put. And then Joshua led the Hebrews in the battle of Geritol. I don't think that's how your interpretation says it, but kids, they'll say the funniest things sometimes, won't they? It reminds me of a quote I learned in my Old Testament class that in the scriptures, we are in God's house where all children are permitted to play. Isn't that beautiful? At First United Methodist Church, our first core value is to educate and to nurture children, youth, and adults through the scriptures. And we take that responsibility seriously. We take a cradle-to-grave approach to spiritual growth. We view Scripture as the living Word of God made fully known and revealed fully in, in Jesus Christ. All Scripture then is fulfilled and revealed through Christ by the Holy Spirit. 
I love what St. Augustine says. The Holy Scriptures are our letters from home. The Holy Scriptures are our letters from home. Somewhere in our, our home are old letters that our girls wrote while they were away at, at Camp DeSoto. We would ship them off for uh, an entire month, and there was no technology, no phones, no computers. The only way to correspond was through letter writing. Susan and I, Susan more than me, wrote letters to the girls from home, praying we would get some response back, and they, they did fairly well, the girls, mostly because we knew we would get at least one a week because that letter on Sunday was their meal ticket. If they wanted to eat, they had to write mom and dad, right? You've heard, you've heard about that. So we have several letters that read, got your letter, here's yours, so that I can eat, bye. That's it. That's it. Well, Susan and I, we began interpreting these things a couple of ways. One is uh, to say that the girls were actually alive, and we knew they had one meal that week, you know, so it was good. Check those boxes. The Holy Scriptures are our letters from home, our letters from God, our Father, love letters, letters of instruction, ancient letters ever true, changing me and and changing you, how we interpret those letters from home, and then what we do in response to those letters, that's what we call spiritual growth. So I want to put some pavers down as we walk the journey in these core values. First thing I want to say is that we are a book religion, like our Jewish brothers and sisters who gave us their scriptures, who gave us our Messiah, and they taught us how to interpret Scripture as an authoritative means in our life, but also as a way of changing the world for the cause of, of our divine Maker. You know, in, in the Old Testament, we read, you are blessed to bless others. The Scriptures are one of the ways that we are blessed. We are blessed not so that we can just sit on that information and, and in, we have to do something with it. The second thing I'll say is that John Wesley, who founded the Methodist movement, said that the general rule of interpreting Scripture is this, the literal sense of every text is to be taken if it be not in contrary to some other text. Now, which is it, Papa John? <laughs> he said, in that case, the obscure text is to be interpreted by those which speak more plainly. So what he does is he lays the literal alongside the interpretive and says, this is the task at hand. And that tension, it, it puts us in a wrestling match with texts from time to time. The third thing that I want to say is I want introduce to introduce to you Article 5 of our United Methodist Articles of Religion, which cannot be changed. And Article 5 says of the authority of Scripture, the Holy Scriptures contain all things necessary for salvation, so that whatsoever is not read therein, nor may be proved thereby, is not to be required of any man that it should be believed as an article of faith, or be thought requisite or necessary to salvation. In the name of the Holy Scriptures, we do not understand, or we do understand those canonical books of the Old Testament and the New Testament, of whose authority has never been in doubt by the church. That's our statement. That's part of from where we receive our understanding of Scripture as as authority in our lives. Simultaneously, the people called Methodists do the work of the theology through a fourfold mechanism you might have heard of it called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. See if you can say it with me. Scripture, 
tradition, reason, and what? Experience, right. According to Wesley, the living core of Christian faith is revealed in Scripture, illumined by tradition, confirmed by reason, and vivified by experience. Scripture is authoritative. Scripture requires the hard work of interpretation. We do not worship the quadrilateral any more than we worship our Bibles. We worship God alone. But these tools and letters from home are channels by which we may experience God's grace. As people called Methodists, we, as Wesley stated, we think and let think. We believe in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. I attended a breakfast downtown yesterday at the Embassy Suites at the invitation of my colleague and friend, Reverend Richard Williams over at Metropolitan. Many of you know Richard. And as we celebrate this MLK holiday weekend, the keynote speaker reminded me of a line that is found in one of Dr. King's sermons. It says, we study the Bible to understand a God we cannot see while trying to figure out a hatred we can see. Why do you read your Bible? Is it to know more about a God we cannot see while trying to figure out the things we can see, like poverty and suffering and anger and grief or, or storm damage? We allow Scripture to be authoritative in our life and we commit to the hard work of interpreting it because we're trying to make sense of the world and help the world make sense as well. So what do you see in life that needs figuring out by Scripture which contains all things necessary for salvation? In our text today, Paul writes, all Scripture is inspired by God and it's useful for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training. And it's a very interesting phrase. We'd like to use that. Uh, all Scripture is inspired by God. We do believe that it's a respiratory term like the balloon exercise we just saw here. But the New Testament had not been written when Paul wrote down these words. He was talking about Torah. All Scripture is inspired by God. But somewhere along the 2,000-year tradition of the church, we have that Scripture and that tradition that said, now all Scripture is inspired by God, and we understand that to be true. And our reason help us, helps us make sense of that inspiration. Like our human experience, we've witnessed ancient texts that do a lot of harm, reminding us that that is not inspired. And then we focus on texts that do a lot of good, and we see God's inspiring work there. Scripture is our oxygen that allows us to breathe. Biblically focused spiritual growth means we understand the authority of Scripture. We understand that it has redemptive and liberating qualities that are supposed to work through the church. And that that task is going to require a lot of interpretation. You know, I was thinking about a particular text. It's from Genesis 32 and, and 33. I've had it on my mind related to my own spiritual growth. It's the story of, of Jacob wrestling with the mysterious figure all through the night. Do you know this story from 
from the Hebrew Bible, from the Old Testament. Do you know the story? And so they're in this wrestling match all night long. The text says that Jacob wrestled with an angel, and he gets the angel in a, in a headlock, and the angel says, let me go. And he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And the angel, you know, whacks him on the hip, and they both are now, like, they should have both tapped out, but they weren't quite finished yet. The angel says, from now on, you will not be called Jacob, which means heel grabber, but you'll be called what, you know? Israel, the one who wrestles with God. I've just been thinking about, in that story alone, we read this incredible tale of, of the human and the divine wrestling it out. And as a child, I, this story was amazing to me. Like, this guy wrestling an angel, that's just so cool. And over time, though, we as adults, we read it differently, don't we? Many of you have wrestled with, with God all night long, haven't you? About marriage and about children, about parents and addiction and about the church or whatever. A lot of times we wrestle with God about our anger and we, we wonder, we wrestle, why do people treat one another the way that they do? The thing is, we, we work with these texts as part of our spiritual development and spiritual growth. We might walk away with a limp after we finish with them or after those texts finish with us, but we discover that wrestling with God is holy ground. We come into the match as heel-grabbing, self-promoting, prideful people, but we leave with a new identity if we'll commit to it. If we'll commit to being biblically focused for the purpose of spiritual growth and to help our brothers and sisters find their way too. The church is also a body. And the church can wrestle with hard things in loving ways if we choose. So many of our texts that we read, my friends, they require a lot of tools for interpretation, archaeology, sociology, uh, literary uh, devices and moves, historical context. I mean, just think about like, how do we make sense of Joshua and Judges when there's so much violence at the hand of, of God's command? You know what I'm talking about? And I mean, you know, Job is, is, it's just a light read for a Sunday afternoon, right? Job. What do, what do we do? How do we make sense of God and Satan battling it out over this, this human being? Leviticus is, is pretty straightforward, but for some reason, we only like to pick and choose certain things. For example, I, I like shaving, and I like uh, multi-blend fabrics, and I like catfish, and I like football, but all of those things, even working on the Sabbath, which uh, could result in my death, all of those are in violation of, of the Torah. What do we do with that? How do we make sense of that? How do we apply scripture and tradition and reason and experience to that authoritative word that is designed to liberate us and to help us move forward as a community? But here's the other thing. There, there are more texts that, than not that are plain as day from which we have crystal clear answers. And what I, what I think I'm discovering is, is this. More difficult than interpreting hard texts is applying easy texts. These texts do not require interpretation, but application.
So I want to listen closely. My, my New Year's resolution, by the way, simple. Don't say too much. Don't say too little. And in this moment, I think I'll just do what Jesus did so often and focus on what the Scriptures say. Things like, be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving, even as you have been forgiven. I think I'll focus on things like, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is useful for building up the body. How have we been choosing our words lately? And then there's always the golden rule, do unto others before they do it unto you. Isn't that right? Treat people like you want to be treated. Sometimes that's so difficult, but it's right there in the Bible. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some in the, are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more because the day is approaching. What if we, what if we call somebody we miss who's not sitting beside us or in front of us or behind us today? We also read texts like God's people Clothe yourselves with compassion and with kindness and with humility and gentleness. And, and you know what? To, to, to put on the clothes of Christ, we're, we're going to have to take off some garments first. Or what about this? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. Love always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. I think about Scripture like, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And then I think about the places that we're being asked to look for the Holy Spirit in the world. And I'm reminded if we want to see the Holy Spirit, God at work in the world, then we look for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. Listen closely. Scripture has the power and the capacity and the responsibility to set boundaries and then to push against those boundaries. To comfort 
and to convict, to affirm our experiences and to challenge those experiences, to support our traditions and then to push against those and reshape those traditions. Scripture binds us and it sets us free. That is scriptural orthodoxy at its finest. What is not orthodoxical about Scripture is when it becomes an idol used to support a God that conveniently supports us and coincidentally condemns someone else. The paradox of Scripture is the paradox of Christianity, too. How does becoming a slave set us free? How does pouring ourselves out for others actually fill us up? How does sacrificing give us life? Christianity ties us up with the very same bonds that set us free. And my friends, that is what we mean when we say we are an orthodoxical United Methodist Church that values biblically focused spiritual growth. We all need to be pulled apart a little bit and then put back together by these very texts, ever true, changing me and changing you. I was also reminded this week of something that Dr. Uh, Billy Graham said. He said, we are the Bibles the world is reading we are the creeds the world is needing. We are the sermons the world is heeding. What kind of Bible are people reading through your life? We live our core values by practicing biblically focused Spiritual growth. Jesus was asked one time about his favorite Bible verse. You ever been asked that question? It's like being asked, what is your, you know, what's your favorite food, your favorite movie, your favorite song? It's impossible for me to answer because I love to eat too much. I love too many kinds of music and I have way too many movie selections, right? So Jesus was basically asked, what is your favorite Bible verse? Or what's the most important? Remember what he said? Love God. Love people. Love God. Love one another. Love people. As we take our steps forward through this series of core values, as we seek for Scripture to be authoritative in our life, and also we wrestle with it, that we have right in front of us the one thing that Jesus said is the most important in Scripture. Love God. Love people.